in the Lausanne movement, we care about how does the world evolve by 2050? What are some of the trends and things we're going to see? And so investing into young leaders now, it is crucial for the sake of missions in the future. Because you're not just leaders of the future, you are the leaders of today. And so what does it mean for you to grow within a setting of, I hope, you know, friendship and collaboration? When I think, imagine dreaming how you will all mingle and come together and you bond with hearts and minds, then, I mean, you will be the one shaping the next phase of missions. And if you do that out of that kind of kindred spirit of friendship and honoring each other, I mean, you can shape so much more mm. in the global mission than each of us can do on our own. Welcome to the Design Movement Podcast, where we have a passion to accelerate global mission together. I am your host, Jason Watson, and in this episode, Evie Rodeman and Dave Benner talk about Lausanne Movement's Seoul 2024 gathering and delve into the elements of creating gatherings that have a meaningful and enduring impact. First up, we hear from Evie, who serves as the Associate Congress Director for Lausanne's Seoul 2024 Congress. Evie has an MA in European Mission and is currently working on a PhD in Theology in the area of Event Impact. So she kicks us off in the podcast by sharing her insights into the spiritual significance of gatherings and the best practices for planning and hosting events that have meaningful and long-lasting impact. Later, we'll hear from David Bennett, the Global Associate Director for the Lausanne Movement. David offers us a behind-the-scenes look at the Lausanne 2024 Congress. Let's begin by jumping into our interview with Evi Rodeman. Evi? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We would like to begin today's interview by asking you to just share with us what initially sparked your interest in gatherings and the implications for those who attended gatherings beyond the gathering itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was 10 when I became, I became a Christian at a very big event. So I think that was where my initial love for events started, seeing Thousands of people gathered loving Jesus and some are being challenged to think what it might make. What are the implications then for their commitments mm-hmm. to Jesus afterwards? And through the years, I've become a, a, an event manager and a theologian. So I tried to have the privilege of combining both. And as I started doing bigger conferences, mm-hmm. I realized it's not just drawing in thousands of young people in my case, but also I thought about the budget. I mean, sometimes it costs you a million or something to produce an event. And um, the question which arose in my heart even more was, what does it mean, like money-wise, financially, how do I know when I have been successful? So having to reconsider how do I term success of an event? And is there any way that, that events have a meaningful, long-lasting implication? Because I thought, I'm raising all these funds and donations and whatever, And does it really make a difference in the life of a young person? I was changed for an event, but I was wondering if it's just anecdotal or do we have any evidence in there saying actually it does make a difference. And so that led me on the journey of doing my master dissertation on it and starting my PhD and thinking, how do we measure spirituality and how do we measure spiritual impact? Because you and I, when we do events, we want to see not just some cognitive changes in people understanding more about God, but we want them to act on it. So one of some of the questions we need to ask to actually then see what is the fruit coming out of these conferences. 
I love that because as someone who has attended conferences, I think it's one of those things that Christians tend to do. We'll go to a conference about this and a conference about that. And as you progress into church leadership and to other missions organizations, there happens to be conferences about many different things. And that is one of the questions I've asked myself. Well, what meaning will this produce in the life of the person that attends? Yeah. And so I would love to hear from you. Imagine you have a pastor sitting in front of you who runs an event every single Sunday, or you have a missionary sitting across from you or someone who's planning an event who dreams about change, dreams about the impact that it'll have on the person attending it. What advice would you give to someone like that to say, if you could think about these things in the preparation for your event, Mm. That'll make all the difference between it just being an event, a momentary experience to something that goes beyond just the gathering or the event itself. Yeah, yeah. I can't say that planning an event, it doesn't have to have the the momental sort of experience of it. That it could be one of things. But I always think if we want to see spiritual disciplines happening, if we want to see life transformation First thing is it can't be just about the event. It always has to be embedded into something more. So I would encourage every one of us, and I think that's beside doing a Sunday service. I would say if you create events, make sure that you know your target audience. And then if you know your target audience, who are your stakeholders? Who are the ones who are going to make it happen? Who are influential? And then decide what are some of the outcomes you want to see? through that and not just saying oh we expect the holy spirit to turn up (laughs) i mean i hope what we all do but it's more saying actually what do we want to see through that so thinking that let's say you want to see a young generation being more passionate about europe and missions in europe then you can't just mention europe once from the stage but actually you have to give them reasons behind why you think it's important and then say oh i want every person in the room to actually have a better understanding of the European situation, the spiritual situation or whatever. And then actually you hone it sort of in through various things around it. So you think about what are the implications of a participant hearing everything and will you give them an opportunity then to to make a decision on something and then helping them to follow through that decision. So it's thinking about impact and saying, what is that we want to see? Is it just a cognitive experience we want them to have on emotional one? Or do we also say it has to lead to a spiritual discipline or a change somewhere there? So are you saying that it's important to think about the connection between the head and the heart and the hands? Absolutely. And at the same time, also thinking that if you, like we often do as event mentors or event planners, we we do everything which concentrates on the event itself, Mm -hmm. but we hardly ever think about what's happening afterwards. So now I'm very strong on saying, if you plan an event and you don't plan anything for afterwards, mm-hmm. don't do it. This is a sin in a sense <laughs> of saying, this is just, I mean, this is just because you only reach half of it. So always make sure what is it that you want to see afterwards and are there any ways of falling through with that? If you encourage a person to make a decision for something, how will we hit them and remind them of that within the 48 hours after an event and then also checking on them a week later, a month later, and do we provide any avenues of help in that regard? What about a mentor coming alongside your Mm -hmm. decision and helping you to implement something? Wow. I love that. I love how that connects 
to an everyday Sunday and to large scale and small scale events um, and gatherings that could be hosted. We are on the Lausanne Movement Podcast and one of the things that Lausanne does is large scale gatherings. Yeah. And we do regional gatherings and we do uh, gatherings based on themes and issues. And next year, Seoul 24 is going to be one of our big gatherings. We wanting to gather over 5,000 people from across the world, across different denominations and all of that. I would love to hear from you going into your research that you've done for your master's and that you're busy preparing for with your PhD dissertation from your findings. What is the value of large scale gatherings like Seoul 24? Can I first say I'm super excited about Seoul 24? <laughs> I just think having any event on that scope where you bring people from more than 200 nations together mm -hmm. around the same cause, I think it's like not just super exciting, but I also think it can be such a shaping event as such. So I'm, yeah, just really excited about it. I think that we have to differentiate between what is that we want to see at Seoul 24 for each participant. When we think of the online and offline community, what does it do to each of us? I think an event on such a scale can be very catalytic in that sense of it can birth something together. So can it align us around the same vision of saying we are addressing I don't know, the, the, you know, the missing gaps in the Great Commission and can we align personally around this? And also then, what is, does it do to us as leaders? And then also, what does it do as leaders are meeting other leaders in collaboration and so on? So I think first is that individual, it can be shaping us. I, I think as leaders, we, um, we need a constant kick in our butts in a sense mm -hmm. of saying, am I still following Jesus? Has my ministry become my kingdom? Or am I still focused on God's kingdom? So it is something very personal in there. And then saying, how am I doing with the reading of the word of God? How am I applying mm -hmm. that to my ministry? Where do I mentor a young person? Mm -hmm. So very personal applications. Mm -hmm. And then on the leadership level of saying, how do we collaborate and network? And I find it really fascinating. The highest impact we can get from gatherings is when you actually come with at least another person from your country or even from your own team, then it is actually so much more shaping things. From various research around Willow Creek and others, it was very evident that if you come on your own, you have no one later to collaborate with. It's like like 0% implications. It just has become very personal and you loved it. You got refreshed on your faith, whatever, but it has no implications for your ministry mm. or church or organization. But if at least there are two of you, it's like 100% growth. So always, I always think, how do we use gatherings as such and saying we have connecting points where people cannot just share hearts, but also visions and maybe create a new ministry together. Wow. And then I say, can you have a, find a collaboration partner or can you even find a prayer partner or an accountability partner? Someone you sort of talk to and say, mm -hmm. this is what I'm going to do over the next six months. If you have no one hunting you with that later on, it disappears because we all go back home into yeah. our very busy lives. There's no space left to rethink some of the stuff we have heard. So really making sure we have this process in place. Otherwise, it's going to be very lost. And I hate Soul 24 to be just a great experience and it has no implication on, on the global state mm -hmm. we're in. I love what you're saying because both the idea of that individual experience and that 
bringing someone along with you, it both requires one thing and that's intentionality. And yeah. we can come to a gathering with agendas and we can come to a gathering for an experience. But when we go in with the intention of saying, what will God do in me? And what will God do through me with others? Yeah. Uh, which connects straight into the heart of the design where we're saying we want to accelerate global missions together. Yeah. How, what, what suggestions would you give to someone who is coming um, let's, uh, let's assume that they get their heart right and they're saying, Lord, I want you to shape my heart. I want to shape my life. What advice would you give someone um, who is coming to the gathering who might not necessarily have someone going with them that they know mm-hmm. that they can say, I want to be intentional about doing something together with mm-hmm. someone? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say initially is that I, I think your face will show your attitude. So Will you be very close in the corner and mm-hmm. playing with your mobile phone all the time, hoping that someone is going to approach me? Mm-hmm. Or will I come with an expression of saying, I'm actually here wanting to learn? And I think if we are in an environment, I hope the Lausanne always again creates these environments where we say every voice matters. You go and you bring your voice. Don't be quiet around tables, discussions and so on. Actually, actively raise your voice, but also actively bring that posture of listening. People love to tell stories. And so even if you, so it's maybe, I feel very insecure going to meetings. I think, oh, everyone else is so more important than who am I? But having that posture of saying, I'm here to listen, what God is doing in your country, in your context, how do you deal with, I don't know, persecution in your nation? So enlargens my heart mm. and also then helps me to connect. And there's some leaders where I think I might have a hard time approaching them because I think, who am I? But I made a very interesting observation from my own commitment. One of these older leaders, he challenged me once and he said, you will ask a busy leader just for half a time. Half a... So what I'm doing intentionally at this conference, say mm-hmm. I meet leaders, I think, wow, I really wish I could have a conversation mm-hmm. with that. And in 99% of the time, they say, yes, I'm happy to have a coffee with you. Mm-hmm. And then I just ask maybe two or three questions about, you know, how they have lost in the game with Jesus. How, what has helped them? And then I think, I learned so much. And then again, I have a chance of passing it on to others. So it's that kind of, I'm interested in you yes. and what you do. And it's not my, me selling my own kingdom, but it's us together. And I think that shapes any conversation. I love that challenge because as a younger leader, I, I experience exactly what you've just said. I resonate with it. And I'm going to take you up on that challenge. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say, I still do. I still keep that challenge for myself because there, there are lots of areas where I think, I struggle. Evie, what, I, what I've loved about getting to know you is I've picked up on your passion for the next generation and your interest in the next generation and hearing about your experience of being intentional about mentoring and raising up the next generation of leaders within your context and even across the globe. I would love for you to take a moment just to imagine that you are talking. I mean, you are speaking to a next yeah. generation <laughs> person. But maybe to just imagine you speaking to a next generation leader and they are perhaps coming to Seoul or thinking yeah. about going to Seoul yeah. or, or interested in a global gathering. What, quest, like what would you say, say to them to encourage them to, to go to a global gathering, mm-hmm. to be involved in it? What, how would that develop them and shape them as a younger leader, hoping to do so much for the Lord with yeah. all those passions yeah. and dreams yeah. that they have? I, I think it's very easy to just stick to your own tribe, look out for the other young leaders, which is amazing. But there are going to be some amazing young leaders. But I would say take the next step and see who are 
leaders from different contexts, different nations, different cultures and languages, and just sit down with them. I think the beauty of Lausanne gatherings is that it is across various generations. And so try and find people and older than you and sort of just intermingle with each other and seeing what is out there, what can I learn from mm. each other in that sense, and not be shy and saying, I'm here, I have a right to be here because someone believed in me to be here. Don't hide behind that, but actually go and explore spaces, but have that open posture of saying, I'm here, I'm a younger leader, I have so much to give. And what you bring to the table is as precious as someone who's in ministry for 50 years. Sometimes what you guys, you come and you maybe challenge more of the status quo and you think, couldn't things be done differently? And because I think the biggest challenge I think we have in any movement is we are losing the young generation in our churches and so on. So I would love you to be fully integrated and to raise your voice, dine at our table. And it is our table together, right? It's not you don't come to our table, but we come and have a new table together. And so saying, this is what I bring to the menu and then celebrate it. Celebrate what God has entrusted to you. And at the same time, celebrate. Well, I think that kind of communal spirit, we're going to do so much more. The kingdom of God needs you young ones as much as it needs the older ones. So don't hide. Thank you, Evie. I feel super encouraged. <laughs> you got to come inspired. to our table. <laughs> I, I, I love this. And I love the Lausanne movement and its intentionality to, to integrate the generations mm. together. Um, I was saying to another leader um, the other day that if you Google Lausanne, one of the things that pops up often, or if you do some research, it pops up with next generation. It's yeah. important. And I would love to hear from you what value you believe the next generation is going to offer at the Soul 24 gathering. Mm-hmm. Or what you hope that the next generation will contribute towards Soul 24 and the implications that flow out of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's a very good question. And maybe it is uh, more prophetic than anything we can see at the moment. But in the Lausanne movement, we care about how does the world evolve by 2050? What are some of the trends and things we're going to see? And so investing into young leaders now, it is crucial for the sake of missions in the future. Because you're not just leaders of the future, you're the leaders of today. And so what does it mean for you to grow within a setting of, I hope, friendship and collaboration? When I think, imagine dreaming how you all guys, how you will all mingle and come together and you bond with hearts and minds, then, I mean, you will be the ones shaping the next phase of missions. And if you do that out of that kind of kindred spirit of friendship and honoring each other, I mean, you can shape so much more mm. in the global mission than each of us can do on our own. And I mm. think also that sense of saying, we come and we realize actually we are not alone in our endeavors. I mean, sometimes, I don't know, some of you and I probably, we feel sometimes very lonely. I mean, That's some of right. the things we do, and then I'm the only one passionate about it. But then you find actually like-minded people. I'm from Germany. Maybe someone comes from Nigeria, but the same sort of dream, I think mm. we can connect about this and actually do things. So in the kind of friendship, what kind of new collaborations can you also undertake? What kind of new ways can you do, which none of my generation or the older ones have even thought about how to do missions? So mm. I'm not just expecting it from, but I need you guys to rethink the way we do missions and rethink, I mean, coming out of, outside of the box and thinking, what does the world mm. need today that looks very different? What 
our forefathers have mm. done and created, but always around the same purpose of the building of the kingdom of God yeah. together. So yeah. please don't do it the way we've done in the past, but create you new, and mm. then we want to come alongside you and cheer you on. Thank you. I've heard another leader speak about how this generation is standing on the shoulders of the generation that's gone totally, before them. Totally, yeah. And and for me, that's that's such been a, a beautiful image because we need you, and we've needed what you guys have done in the past, and and the foundations you have built in global mission is inspiring. And we are standing on your shoulders, and the movement we continue we create is actually a movement that has con that we're continuing. Yeah. And, so and, I, I, and I feel I'm in the same flow. I mean, I think of Billy Graham and John Starr and so many, Samuel Escobar and all these guys in the movement. And I stand on their shoulders because someone prayed for the next generation mm. to step up. I think, wow. So we are all part of the generation and maybe blessing in that regard, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. Evie, I would like for us to close off this interview with a question. And it's good it's just to, to explore your heart and say, what is your hope and what is your prayer for so the gathering of soul 24 and specifically what will be your prayer be for the next generation regarding global mission yeah that's a big question <laughs> that's why it's the closing question <laughs> great closing question <laughs> i would really hope that everyone who comes virtually or online and offline will have raised their voices around their hearts and passions and seeing ways of collaborating. I'm dreaming of thousands of new networks and collaborations coming out of it because we think not building my own kingdom, but think building God's kingdom together. So that together is such a strong word in the movement and for Soul24. So what does it mean for us to do that together? So each voice matters, no matter where you come from, no matter what gender and so on. And then I also wonder if this could spark off a renewed commitment to missions and saying, can we have a common vision together? Can we create common goals, outcomes? And can we have any way of measuring that? <laughs> because I want to be about impact, which we can measure. So what comes out of it? Will we see the fruit in five or 10 years time? And also then, do we see the next generation being willing to step up and say, we are willing and we are ready to step up as leaders of these new initiatives, but also entering the existing systems and structures and saying, we are right here willing to take on responsibility, always in that sense of feeling that God has called each of us to make a difference. Well, Evie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being willing and engaging with us on the podcast today. We're standing on your shoulders. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Well, I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Evie. You know, something beautiful happens when God's people choose to come together with a spirit of humility and intentionality around God's mission. Next up, we have an insightful conversation with Dave Bennett. David serves as the Global Associate Director of the Design Movement and is the Congress Director for the Soul Gathering. In our time together, he gives us a behind-the-scenes look into Lausanne's highly anticipated Soul 2024 Congress. Let's jump into an insightful conversation with Dave Bennett. Dave, welcome to the podcast. Hey, great to be with you, Jason. Today, we have the privilege of having you on the podcast to discuss the upcoming Seoul 2024 Congress, which we are very excited about. 
But before we dive too deeply into the intricacies of the Congress, I would love for our listeners to get a glimpse of the man behind the microphone. Could you share with us just a brief memory or experience that ignited your passion for global evangelization? When I was a boy, I used to collect stamps from around the world. Our family had a subscription to National Geographic. So that whole area of the world, countries of the world always fascinated me. But I think the area where it began to focus on world evangelism is when I took a course from Ralph Winter at the Fuller School of World Mission in the early 1970s. And it was tracing the history of the expansion of the Christian movement that touched on every region of the world. And I first began to get a sense of the gospel going to everywhere and then increasingly from everywhere. And Mm -hmm. that just lit a flame uh, in my heart. And I took every course I possibly could uh, as an elective in the School of World Mission, and that passion just continued to grow. And how did you become involved with Luzon itself? Well, some of those professors, like Ralph Winter, of course, were key shapers of the first Congress, which happened just after I finished my first round of studies at Fuller in the summer of 74. And so very soon after the Congress, I became aware of some of the writings, the Luzon Covenant and other papers that were coming out of the Luzon movement. I just devoured those. and. Then later in 89, I had an opportunity to be the eyes and ears for a foundation that was starting to get involved, a global focus. And so I got to attend the Second Lausanne Congress in 1989 in Manila on their behalf, and then had an opportunity to walk alongside one of the key Lausanne leaders, Doug Bursaw, who became the CEO of the Lausanne movement for several years before the Third Congress. And he ended up sweeping several of his friends into that preparation for the Third Congress. And so I had an opportunity to serve with the program team of the Third Congress. And so it's been a journey that's almost 50 years now from the very beginning. Wow, that's awesome. It's truly inspiring and fascinating to learn about the roots of someone's passion, especially when it comes to something as significant as global evangelization. Now, moving on to our upcoming gathering, could you help our listeners catch the heart behind the purpose of hosting another gathering? I think the question that I have asked a few times is why Seoul 2024? Why another gathering? It's important to understand the heart of the Lausanne movement is accelerating global mission together toward a fourfold vision, the gospel for every person, disciple-making churches for every people and place, Christ-like leaders for every church and sector, and kingdom influence in every sphere of society. So that's been the enduring heart of the Lausanne movement. And that, that fourfold vision is embraced by Christians all over the world, but there are still a lot of gaps remaining. And it's too big a task for any of us to do alone. We need more collaboration. So as the world changes, as the, the needs, the gaps evolve. Every, every so often, the body of Christ needs to take a fresh look at, in the light of that unchanging vision, where are we now? What's the work that remains to be done? Where are we in silos? Where do we need to work together better and find ways of engaging in collaborative action? So there were 
a number of years between the first Congress and the second Congress. It will have been 14 years since the third Congress. Our world has changed a lot. The church is growing rapidly in some parts of the world. New missions movements are coming. So it's a good time to take a fresh look at what's happening and what still needs to make disciples of all the nations. Mm, That's so good, Dave. And I would love to hear what thought went into choosing the location of the Congress. Is it significant that it is in Seoul, Korea? What was the thought process behind Korea has been one of the countries sending out the largest number of missionaries over the last few decades. It's home to some of the largest churches in the world, and its growth has been fueled by prayer. It has a wonderful group of training institutions and uh, theological seminaries and missionary-sending bodies. It's also one of the main urban centers of Asia, and Asia is where the greatest population concentration of the world is, the greatest number of unreached people are located in Asia, and Asia is an increasingly important center of geopolitical influence. So there are a number of reasons that that drew us to Asia and to Korea in particular, but also Korean churches are facing challenges that other mission-sending countries have faced, increasing issues of nominalism, some failures of leaders, disillusionment among the youth. So there are lessons that the Korean church is grappling with as well that are common to many other parts of the world where the church has been established for a few generations. So we thought it's a good place to go to be where it's near the center of where a lot of the action is, both in the missionary sending in the world today, but also some of the challenges that churches are facing around the world. And we also got a wonderful invitation from not only Korea, but Korea in partnership with other churches in East Asia, in Japan, China, and so forth, who said, we'd really like to host this next gathering together. So it's, so it's a response to a call, but also a strategic decision. I love that, how it connects with this idea of doing mission together. Uh, and it's evident that the location choices is deeply entwined in the vision of the Congress and the Luzon movement itself. So thank you for shedding light on that, Dave. Uh, Over the past few years, the Luzon movement has engaged in a significant listening process. Could you help our listeners understand how that process was undertaken? We've called it the L4 journey and how that journey has shaped the structure of the Seoul 2024 gathering. Yes. As we were looking at this issue, how are we doing in progress toward fulfilling Jesus' command to make disciples of all the nations. Five questions started to form in our minds. Well, one is, where are the main gaps and opportunities that remain in fulfilling the Great Commission? And where do we see innovations and breakthroughs? Where are some of the good news? And then thirdly, where are some of the areas where collaboration is most critical? And then fourth, where do we need to do more research? And then five, to whom else should we be listening? Who isn't part of the conversation yet? And so we took those five questions and we asked them in all 12 Luzon regions. We asked them with our nearly 30 issue networks. We gathered groups of younger leaders. And out of that, we formed a global listening team to listen to analyze and to 
draw conclusions from all the notes from all of these different listening calls, also about 20 focus groups that we did in several countries of the world. And they compiled two reports that summarize where we are so far in our listening. And then at the same time, we also began a State of the Great Commission report involving nearly 150 researchers looking at critical trends and issues from all across the world to saying what are going to be the most important things, the most important issues that are going to shape the environment in which the church does its ministry or trends that we see uh, within church and mission. And so all of that research has been fed to the program team in their design of what we will actually talk about and what are the issues that we will address in Seoul. And what kind of themes and what kind of topics are there going to be in Seoul 2024 Congress? How were they chosen? Another part of our listening was actually listening to the Word of God. I should mention that uh, through these, over these years, we're also listening to the entire uh, Old Testament and New Testament together in systematic process of weekly listening to God calls. And as we thought about the breadth of Scripture and what area of Scripture speaks most into where we are as a church today, we were drawn to the book of Acts. And we thought this was a time, again, when the world was changing, the world was experiencing a lot of communication and travel back and forth. Uh, there was such a proliferation of ideas and heavils and in how people looked at the world. And we thought this is a good time to go back to the foundations of how God's Spirit worked in the early church. So our starting point was the book of Acts. And then we compared what we were seeing as themes in the book of Acts and what were some of the topics that were emerging from the listening calls. And there were six daily themes that emerged from that. One, we're going to spend one day on what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, having strategies and directions that really come out of the leading of the Holy Spirit. Another day on what it means to live as a missional community. We're seeing how believers sharing life together influence their communities and their world. Another theme that we found prominent in the book of Acts was the era of persecution, that Right from the very beginning, the church was a church under pressure. And how did they respond to that? What kind of opportunities did they find to accelerate their witness, even in spite of all the different forms of opposition? And then a fourth theme was the air bearing witness to Christ in the workplace. We were struck that by the growth of the church in the book of Acts wasn't mainly through professional or full-time Christian worker or missionaries or they didn't have full-time pastors in those early years. The church spread through tent makers and seamstresses, and cloth merchants and government workers and slaves and military people and jailers. We just look at all the characters in the book of Acts and how the gospel spread through the course of their daily witness, through their travel through their engagement in the life of their cities. And so we want to take a look at that area of what is the role of witness in and through the workplace. And then another day will be on servant leadership. And 
we see the, the way that leader, that Paul and his team, how they worked together, how, the, how church leaders made decisions together. Uh, that beautiful description, for example, in Acts 20, where Paul meets with the elders of the church of Ephesus and describes the kind of leader he was in serving among them. And then another theme, a sixth daily theme, is that of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Of course, the book of Acts begins with Jesus' statement to his disciples that they'll be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then the book of Acts shows the unfolding of how the gospel spread through Judea and Samaria and then all of the, the Mediterranean, finally to the capital city of Rome and beyond. And so those are the six daily themes that we'll be focusing on. And under an overall theme of the Congress is let the church declare and display Christ together. And by, by that, we're emphasizing, we see that combination of the gospel proclaimed, but also the gospel lived out in daily life and acts of love and service. And also we see the church working together in the book of Acts, um, that Greek word uh, homothumidon, translated of one accord or together, comes up again and again in the book of Acts. So that was another thing that inspired us uh, to go to Acts as a place to challenge and teach us about accelerating global mission together. I think it's so powerful that this is just about a single event, but the culmination of years of listening, of prayer, of an understanding and alignment. And for me, that's truly profound. With Seoul, the Seoul 2024 Congress being described as a once-in-a-generation gathering, what are some unique experiences that attendees can anticipate? And in what ways can the global church participate in this Congress? First of all, for the attendees itself, I think that one of the special aspects is to be amidst a group that has come from nearly every nation, from multiple generations, both men and women, people from the workplace, as well as from church and missions and academic institutions and so forth. And just in that mix of believers representative of the global body of Christ, to look at some of the gaps and the challenges that lie before us and how we can work together to address that. Another distinctive feature of this gathering, I think, will be the identification of the gaps. I mentioned that State of the Great Commission report, which is, has already identified about 40 different key issues and trends that the church needs to look at. And we're going to take a deep dive into about 25 of those gaps during our afternoon sessions in Seoul. And so that opportunity to really think creatively and intensively about what could we do together to address these key challenges that uh, the church is going to be in the next decade. Another very rich experience about the gathering in Seoul is the opportunity to gather around tables, as we did in Cape Town. It's not a time of just passive listening to plenary speakers, but there'll be a lot of time interacting about the things that we have read, the things that we have heard from the platform. But a very large percentage of the time is going to be spent in intentional smaller groupings. Another 
uniqueness, I think, of this gathering is going to be the percentage of people who come from the workplace. Many of our Lausanne meetings in the past have had people largely from church and missions and uh, Christian organizations. But in the selection process, we deliberately have a much higher percentage of people who are coming from all different kinds of sectors of, of business and professions and the arts and so forth, just all the different areas of daily work. So those are some of the uh, distinctions of the people who will be gathering in person. But another area of involvement is that about half the participants are also going to be preparing virtually. And so it'll be a mix, not just of people in the room, but the, both in the preparations leading up to Seoul and in the actual interactions during Seoul. There'll be a combination of people meeting in person and people meeting virtually. And another very important emphasis is going to be moving towards collaborative action. In the light of the insights we're getting, in the light of the biblical studies that we're doing, in light of the strategic insights that we're hearing, what could we do together? What could we do together more effectively rather than just on our own? So that thread of emphasis on collaboration and collaborative action pervades the planning of the entire Congress. So the question about how can the global church participate well, there are a couple of additional dimensions. Parts of the Congress are going to be live streamed so that people in any time zone will be able to, to see some of the plenary presentations. But we're also praying for and planning for several thousand satellite sites. And we're enlisting some of those sites right now as we speak. Places where in a workplace or a church or a school, people can gather and can get videos from some of the presentations as long with discussion questions that they can talk about at a time that's convenient for them, but they can do it during the Congress, they could even do it after the Congress, but a time of discussing and interacting about the themes that are going to be addressed in the Congress, just as people who are in the room in Seoul themselves are going to have an opportunity to do. Well, thank you for unpacking that for us, Dave. I've heard it said that one of the greatest values of coming to one of the Luzon events is the network that you and the friendships that evolve and come out of the gatherings. Yes. Could you share some advice with those who are listening, perhaps coming to Seoul next year, or perhaps any kind of gathering that they might attend? What ways over the years have you found have enabled you to connect and collaborate and partner with other people most effectively? I think that one part of maximizing the connecting during the event is going to be the connecting meaningfully in the pre-Congress program leading up to the event. That starting in the month of October, there are going to be months, every month, there's going to be opportunity to interact with the material, uh, that's going to be presented and discussed in the Congress and with and an opportunity to connect with other people who are also preparing for the Congress. So both the in-person participants and roughly an equal number of virtual participants 
are all going to be joined together over the months between now and next September and are going to be interacting and there'll be more and more opportunities to actually engage with one another as part of that pre-Congress program. So we hope that when we get to the Congress that week next September, that people will already have been introduced to one another. They will have had some opportunity to interact about some of the key themes. They'll have chosen some of the smaller groupings of special focus that they'll be participating in. And along the line, uh, over these months too, our Lausanne team has been part of building a digital platform that will help people to link up with one another. So people can discover people who are from their part of the world or who share a similar interest or topic they'd like to delve into more, more deeply. And so between the pre-Congress program and the digital platform, which will be launched before and then will be used during the Congress itself and after the Congress, there'll be all kinds of ways for people to connect with those who share common interests or who are more easily accessible to them, either people in the same language group or people in the same city and so forth. Phil Butler, who is a real, a very, very prominent Lausanne leader, or he was at the very first Congress back in 74 until the Lord took him home not long ago. He was, a, he was probably the most prominent voice in this whole area of partnership and networking within the movement. And he always used to say that, first of all, that people will work together, they will partner together if they're convinced that they can get more done together than they could on their own. And that also people tend to partner based on what and connect with one another based on where they live and what they do. So it's more naturally easy to connect with people who are somewhat physically accessible to us or who share a common passion. Now, of course, in today's virtual world, there are more and more ways of connecting meaningfully with people that we're not right next door to mm. geographically. But still a lot of the work of acceleration of the gospel gets done in our own community, in our own town, in our own workplace, with our neighbors, with the people that we get together with as friends. And so we hope that this, that, that the Congress will increase the number of connections between people who are, who share the same passions and also who have proxim more proximity to one another, whether that be physically or virtually. Thanks, Dave. We've spent a bit of time speaking about the Congress itself and everything that's involved around the meeting. I would love to hear what is Lausanne's vision beyond the Congress? You've already alluded to one or two things, but are there, can you give us a sneak peek of some ideas or projects that Lausanne has in the pipeline for after Seoul 2024? One of the major emphasis of Seoul 2024 is going to be on the formation of collaborative action teams. People working together, focus on doing something specific with identifiable members of a team that will accelerate global mission. 
Now, there are many people who are already working in collaboration with others. We'd like to identify them and find out what gaps are they focusing on? What are they doing together? What have they found? What helpful strategies have they discovered? What insights biblically are motivating them? So we know that there are collaborative action teams already out there, but there are also many more collaborative action teams that need to be formed in order to identify some of these gaps and to close them with people who share that common passion. So a lot of the emphasis of Soul 2024 is going to be on planting that vision for collaborative action, encouraging that vision, sharing examples of where people are working together in these ways, and then through a digital platform, to make it possible for the LIMM to link up with other like-minded teams. So when we talk about what happens beyond the Congress, even though the basic mission of the Lausanne movement is unchanged to accelerate global mission together, the fourfold vision is unchanged, but we'd like to see an acceleration of these collaborative action teams. And in particular, to see how a digital platform can serve them in linking together uh, with other like-minded teams or finding new people to expand and multiply the work of the existing team. So that's going to be one very important part of the emphasis of the Lausanne movement beyond Seoul. And the Younger Leaders Gathering that we're planning in 2026, following in the train of Younger Leaders Gatherings in 87 and 2006 and 2016. The next Younger Leaders Gathering is going to have a real focus on collaborative action teams addressing these key gaps. So, Seoul 2024 is sort of a springboard for the Younger Leaders Gathering in 2026. I think a, another area of increased emphasis beyond Seoul is the area of intergenerational interaction. As I mentioned, the Younger Leaders Gathering in 2016 had a focus on equipping and mentoring and encouraging and resourcing the next generation of missional leaders, people 40 and under. But as we got deeper and deeper into the initiative, more and more began to see the importance and the value of intergenerational initiative and fellowship and encouragement and the importance of intergenerational teams who can learn from one another and really build on the best of the insights, the capacities of each different generation. So that's going to be an increasing focus of the Lausanne movement also through all of our networks, through all of our regions. How can we find ways of, of stitching together the generation and working together in deliberate ways intergenerationally? Wow, that is really exciting to, to hear about the initiatives coming, going beyond Seoul 2024 and the ripple effect. As a younger leader, I appreciate the intentionality that you and um, other leaders across the globe are putting into us and pouring into us and pouring into the next generation. And for that, Dev, I, I really want to thank you. And I'm excited to see what will come out of the Younger Leaders Gathering and that intergenerational mentorship and connection that younger leaders will get. And even I think the benefit that all the leaders receive from relationship with younger leaders as well. I think that um, what we discovered from the listening process is also that there's benefit that flows both ways. 
May I mention a couple of other things that beyond Seoul 2024, that will be moving increasingly into the digital space. And we're something that we're planning right now is a kind of interactional expo space at Seoul to see what's being, ha what's being done today through digital ministries. What are some of the new avenues of evangelism, of mission, of discipleship, engagement? And so that is becoming more and more of a focus of our work in Lausanne, not just gathering the face-to-face -face gathering, but seeing what can we do virtually to accelerate global mission together. And also, as we've identified some of these gaps through the State of the Great Commission report, we're hoping to spark a lot more content, a written content, but also visual and audio content to address these gaps to help larger global church to understand it. And also, we're just looking for God's surprises. Uh, there are things that came out of the first three Congresses that we never would have anticipated in advance. And so we don't know what will lie on the other side of Seoul 2024, but we're hoping that, that the Holy Spirit in his wonderfully creative ways will make himself evident in the fourth Congress, both the in-person and the virtual parts, and will surprise us with some of the initiatives and changes that come out the other side. As we draw our conversation to a close, Dave, I would love to hear what is your personal hope and prayer for Seoul 2024 and beyond? I'd love to, that, to see the Congress be an encouragement to the global church, to see all the ways that God's at work in advancing his mission around the world. I pray that it'll also be a wake-up call to see some of the urgent priorities for mission in our rapidly changing world. I also am praying that we would see God's people in the workplace as full partners and essential players in global mission. And that's some of the ways that we'll have to interact together in Seoul will really set the church in a more unified direction of seeing the whole people of God, the whole body of Christ, those in the workplace as well as those in particular church and mission vocations, uh, serving together in accelerating global mission. It's been such an enriching conversation, understanding not just the, the upcoming Congress, but also the hearts and the vision behind it. Thank you for your dedication to global mission and for sharing your insights with us today. We wish you and the program team the very best for Seoul 2024. Thanks, Jason. Pleasure to be with you. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed getting a sneak peek into the upcoming Congress and have left this conversation feeling a little more inspired and equipped as you approach the next gathering you attend. If you enjoyed today's conversation, wouldn't you take the moment to rate and review this podcast and share it with a friend? Next week, we have a fascinating conversation in store for you with Malaysian Bishop, Bishop Wai Yung. During our time, Bishop Wai Yung explores themes from the Book of Acts and breaks down for us how they speak into our modern context. We talk about the Holy Spirit, revival, missional communities, workplace missions, persecuted church, servant leadership, and gospel to the ends of the year. If you want to feel empowered by the Word of God, then next week is for you. Here's a clip from my interview with Bishop Wai Yung. And came to the point when I said, look, I need to develop a clear Christian identity of my own, not based on Western evangelicalism, 
but a one that is true to the scriptures on the one hand and also takes serious my culture on the other. And I think when Christians in the majority world can begin to develop strong, confident identities of their own, and at the same time, Christians in the West realize that they got to back off from the, the colonial dominance that used to exist. I think we can move towards true mutuality. But that's going to be a hard process. It's not as simple as it is. Well, I hope that you enjoyed today's interviews. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to rate and review our podcast. Until next week, cheers. Cheers.